is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Businesses across Canada are closed, some by government order. What happens when their rent comes due? On this episode, we'll hear from two leading real estate lawyers about how COVID-19 is affecting relationships between landlords and tenants, and what that may mean for commercial real estate in the future. Law in the Time of COVID-19 is brought to you by McCarthy Tatro. We're exploring the law and policy of pandemic response and looking at how governments, organizations, and individuals are managing the impact and meeting the moment. Nothing you'll hear in this or any episode of this podcast constitutes legal advice. But don't worry, whether you're a lawyer or not, and I hope at least some of you aren't, we've got legal information aplenty. And if you are a lawyer, good news. You may be entitled to CPD credit for listening to this episode. Check our website for details. Here's Episode 8, Commercial Leases in Unreasonable Times. In the summer of 2002, a Mr. Lee signed a two-year residential lease for an apartment in Hong Kong. The following spring, there was an outbreak of SARS in the city. Mr. Lee moved out of the apartment he had rented and went to stay with his family in Guangzhou. Two days later, Hong Kong's Department of Health issued an isolation order for the apartment building where Mr. Lee's rented flat was located. The order lasted for 10 days. When it expired, Mr. Lee moved back in. But after he did, he wrote to his landlord and said that he was terminating his lease. The landlord sued for damages. Among other defenses, Mr. Lee pleaded the doctrine of frustration, which we've talked about a couple of times on this podcast. Mr. Lee argued that the isolation order so radically changed the circumstances of the lease that it would have been unjust, he said, to hold him to its terms. The Hong Kong District Court disagreed. The Honorable Judge Locke applied British case law and held that, and I'm quoting the decision now, Out of a term of two years, a period of about ten days of which the defendant was not allowed to stay in the premises by virtue of the isolation order was quite insignificant in terms of the overall use of the premises. The outbreak of SARS may arguably be an unforeseeable event, however, such supervening event did not, in my judgment, significantly change the nature of the outstanding contractual rights or obligations from what the parties could reasonably have contemplated at the time of the execution of the tenancy agreement. That's the lease. Hence, the defense of frustration cannot possibly succeed in the present case. End quote. In case you're curious, that case is called Li Ching Wing versus Xuan Yi Jiang, 2004-1-HKLRD-754. No doubt there will eventually be similar cases about COVID-19 in Hong Kong, in Canada, and elsewhere. Right now, the challenge for commercial landlords and tenants is figuring out how to pay the rent and how to pay the bills. Government orders have shut down non-essential businesses in different parts of the country, and even those businesses that are still open aren't seeing the usual flow of customers through their doors. Landlords, meanwhile, have utility bills to pay and tax bills to pay and mortgage payments coming due. It's a terribly challenging situation for everyone concerned, and how it's addressed could have lasting implications for commercial leasing across the country. To help us understand those potential implications, and what tenants and landlords can do now to manage the impact of COVID-19 and their relationships with one another, I spoke to two of McCarthy Tetra's leading real estate lawyers, Bram Costin and Annie Gagnon-Laroc. Bram is in Toronto, and Annie is in Montreal. I spoke to them on Wednesday, April 1st. Bram, Ani, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us, although 
I wish we weren't having to do this right now. Yeah, no, these are definitely difficult circumstances for our clients. And let me jump right into that then. Uh, we have clients who are landlords and we have clients who are commercial tenants. In circumstances like this where businesses have been closed, sometimes by government order, or they're closed because there just aren't any customers coming in, or revenue streams have been depleted, what are the options that are available to landlords and tenants to handle this very difficult, frankly unprecedented situation in their commercial relationship? Yes, so I am I mean, tenants are are trying to, you know, figure out is there a way where I can just withhold payment? Is there a way I can defer payment? And landlord are saying, how am I dealing with a force majeure or a, you know, forced closure of my building or my commercial uh, shopping center? So at, at law and most certainly in the contract, uh, there is uh, rarely a right to abate rent, and we'll discuss a bit further. But as Bram said, and especially today that we're April the 1st, everyone is in the same situation. Payments are due, mortgage payments are due, realty taxes. Mind you, some municipalities have allowed you know a deferral of payment, but everyone is in the same situation right now. When you say that there's no right to abate rent in most commercial leases, what does that mean? If you look at most commercial leases, they will provide that rent is payable without abatement or set-off, except in the circumstances set out in the lease. And generally, those circumstances are limited to uh, the building burning down and not, uh, and not sort of a government closure or a pandemic like this. Those type of things, pandemics and government closures, tend to be within the force majeure or unavoidable delay provision of a lease. And almost, in, almost universally, those provisions will say that they do not excuse the payment of rent. And, and it's, it's the same in, in Quebec where the parties can uh, contractually waive the right to abate or compensate rent. And once that's put into place and a tenant has waived that right, they can't claim what's happening right now, um, except if there's specific provisions in the lease. But it can't it can be an excuse for uh, withholding payment of rent. Let me ask you both about this concept of force majeure. We've talked about this on a couple of episodes now in the broader contractual context. And the way that we've explained it to our listeners is that force majeure means both under the civil code, under article 1470 of the civil code and under force majeure provisions in contracts in the common law provinces, that there's something that makes it impossible in most circumstances to perform a party's contractual obligations. If I'm a tenant, my contractual obligation, my principal contractual obligation in a lease is to pay rent. And the pandemic and the response to the pandemic doesn't prevent me from paying rent because the banks are closed or something the way that it might prevent someone who is supplying goods or, or products to a customer from doing so because it's hard to ship things or the materials aren't available. That's usually what force majeure means in the broader uh, context of contract law. So specifically with reference to commercial leases, how does the concept of force majeure operate in the, co in the relationship between a landlord and a tenant? Well, let's consider a shopping center where uh, you have a whole, you know, 100 or 200 stores, all of which, or many of which, will have an obligation to, to continuously operate. And the purpose of those provisions, that type of provision, is to ensure that the shopping center is always a viable concern that you don't have a lot of closed stores. The force majeure clause would 
uh, act as an excuse for a tenant not to open because a tenant is prevented from opening, both by the pandemic and by the government order. So for performance obligations like that, on part of both the landlord and the tenant, the force majeure clause will excuse performance. That's right. It's the same. It's the same thing in in Quebec, where you would have an incapacity to perform, but not to write a check, but to perform that obligation of, uh, on the one hand, on a temporary basis of continuous operation or any other uh, tenant obligation. The, it would be it would be an excuse for a temporary period of time, um, but the rent would still be payable. So in the event that there is still an obligation to pay rent, let's assume that we're in a commercial uh, lease arrangement where there is no provision for the abatement of rent in circumstances like the ones that, that merchants are facing now or other commercial tenants are facing now. You said that it's it's up to landlords and tenants uh, to work together with one another. What sorts of things can landlords and tenants agree to in order to alleviate the immediate financial strain in their contractual relationship? Well, I've seen three approaches to uh, what are called deferrals or forbearances right now. Uh, the first is a simple deferral of the May rent, of the April rent to May, with a view towards reassessing the situation. Uh, then, this this whole pandemic issue is evolving almost on an hourly basis, and so I don't think anyone knows whether the uh, government orders will still be in effect on May first. Although I'm beginning to suspect they may be. Um, or whether or whether they may be lessened by that point. So this approach has a very as the advantage of taking the immediate pressure off the tenant, uh, so that the tenant doesn't have to worry about being in default today and um, losing his premises. But at the same time, it doesn't really prejudice the landlord from reviewing things at the uh, end of the a month of April, and. What's important to note with respect to this approach is that we're seeing a lot of government programs being implemented to help businesses. So a lot of landlords are saying, let's see what happens with those means of compensating the tenant before I, the landlord, uh, give the tenant a six-month rent break or, or something like that. The second, the second, that leads to the second approach, which is some landlords and tenants who want, us, who want certainty are simply saying, look, don't pay me for the next three or four months, whatever. Um, and you can, whatever we defer, you can repay to me over the balance of the term. And I've seen it both with interest and without interest. And this has the advantage of creating certainty for both parties um, because the tenant knows won't have to worry about this again on May 1st. And the landlord at least has an idea what the deferral will be like and what kind of cash flow issues will arise. And it can go to its lender and say, this is what I've done. Let's talk about my mortgage payments. Um, of course, the problem with this approach is there's still uncertainty because no one really knows how many months the deferral should be for. Um, the last approach has been to apply last month's rent or security deposit to the April rent. Most landlords have a last month's rent that they're holding. This, uh, this is a bit of a fiction because commercial landlords don't really keep their last month's rent or security deposits in a trust account. That money has already been taken into cash flow by the landlord. So that applying it doesn't really um, help the landlord 
it, it certainly helps the tenant because from the tenant's point of view, there's no, they, no deferral and they're no longer in uh, arrears, although uh, they will be asked to replenish the security deposit uh, when the situation returns to normal. With respect to the second option that you described, Bram, which is where you have the landlord and the tenant agreeing that rent will be deferred for a fixed number of months or until the uh, the current situation changes, and that that rent will be paid over the balance of the lease term, either with or without interest. You mentioned that that allows the landlord to go to its mortgage lender and explain the situation and maybe come to a different arrangement about uh, mortgage payments and the schedule for, for paying mortgage obligations. Is the time to speak to the mortgage lender? before you reach that agreement with the tenant so you know what you need to get to in order to get the kind of break from the mortgage lender that you require? Or is generally the approach to speak to tenants first, come to an agreement, and then go and speak to the mortgage lender? I think it depends on your relationship with the mortgage lender and um, how many levels of approval they'll require to give you any kind of forbearance. Mm -hmm. And and if I may add, because from a Quebec point, all of these are very practical and they're pretty much, you know, similar throughout. And some some landlords have given, you know, either systematic uh, rent relief and others are doing case by case and others just don't give any uh, any uh, any reliefs. And the other way around is some tenants keep on paying rent without having any issues. But one point that could be interesting and it's not it, it. takes away a bit from commercial um, tenants, but is in a context of multi-residential, where it's really a business as well for the owner, where you have all these tenants, individual tenants, that may be struggling because they lost their jobs and they're on fixed income or, or whatnot, and they can't, they can't pay uh, rentals. Well, the landlord, as a commercial owner, still has obligation vis-a-vis the, um, the, the, their own mortgage uh, brokers. So... In, in this instance, uh, most of the provinces in the country, if, if not all, but most of them have given some some rent relief or, you know, uh, freeze on rent increases or uh, on eviction. And we're not going to go and discuss uh, residential tenants evictions, but all that to tie it in with the commercial uh, aspect of our, our discussion today is there there are incentives helping the various tenants. So the multi-residential uh, owners will somehow benefit from these governmental uh, incentives and then they can turn around with their lender, especially if they're CMHC uh, insured uh, loans, to also get, uh, you know, throughout the chain some relief uh, since everyone is in the same boat, right? It, it's worth, I think it's worth, that's a good segue into one thing I wanted to remind people of, and that is the courts are closed except for urgent matters. Mm-hmm. So that even if a landlord decides they want to be, uh, tough about this and you know give the give the tenant a notice of default because they didn't pay the April rent and then proceed to enforce termination of the lease. I don't think a court is going to allow that on an urgent basis. I don't think that's within the urgent exception from the court closure. So I'm not sure a landlord really gains much by uh, beginning the default process at this point. I agree. Yeah. So what what then does happen in the event that the parties try to work together, they try to come to an arrangement that works for everybody, but for whatever reason, that proves to be impossible? What what are the next steps that either a landlord or a tenant can take in order to protect their legal interests while we're dealing with this pandemic situation? Well, maybe I can, uh, you know, like in Quebec for now, but throughout the world, everything is in pause. And our prime ministers uh, said... 
the Quebec premier said, you know, we'll put Quebec on pause. I think everything right now in terms of decision making, other than just ensuring that there is no emergency, the relationship between tenant and landlord has to be of an open communication. And I think that's what's happening. No one really knows. So like Bram said, you know, deferring April to May and what will we see then? We'll have to reassess. So I think other than just, you know, having open canals of uh, channels of communication and ensuring that, you know, there is no emergency situation, not sure there is uh, much to do in terms of protecting your protecting your right if if you started litigation none of this will uh, you know will go to court sending sending notices if a tenant opens up and calls his uh, landlord saying i won't be able to pay rent and this is what's uh, happening let's either document it or just let's wait and see mid mid month or end of month i think is the best way to uh, to deal with this right now I don't know, Bram, if you have... I just want to remind or, or just caution people that, or landlords that in Ontario, you can also terminate a lease by changing the locks. And um, I, I think a landlord would be foolhardy to do that mm -hmm. for a failure to pay April rent where there's been no agreement on a deferral. Um, I think that everything I've heard from seasoned litigators who have been through uh, several recessions is that courts frown on people who act unreasonably in unreasonable times and uh, they're not going to be pleased with a landlord who tries to do something like that well and presumably the reason to go in and change the locks or take measures to to relet the premises is is that you can find someone else to rent them uh, and to lease them at at comparable terms mm. which presumably you're not going to be able to do if if the very reason you were going in to change the locks in the first place is that your existing tenant can't carry on business. That's exactly. Right. Let's talk about steps that governments might take in order to intervene more directly than they have to date in the landlord-tenant relationship or to provide support to tenants or landlords to continue to meet their cash flow obligations despite the slowdown that's been caused by, by the pandemic and the response to the pandemic. We've seen, for example, in the United Kingdom, there's legislation now that has postponed landlords' right to, uh, to seek forfeiture for non-payment of rent. In Nova Scotia, the government has announced support for uh, uh, to replace uh, lease payments on behalf of commercial tenants who are unable to operate during the pandemic. Do we expect to see more measures like that across the country where governments understand that there is a strain being placed on the relationship between landlords and tenants and that governments step in to try to keep cash flow moving between the, those two parties? I think it's a bit of a uh, oversimplification to look at just the cash flow between those two parties. I think you have to look at the cash flow, well, stay on top of the landlord, because the landlord, in addition to mortgage payments, has to pay for the utilities, which will be lower than normal, but there's still going to be heat and electricity and those things uh, used up in these premises, and realty taxes. Uh, I can tell you that a couple of large uh, landlords in Toronto have proposed to the city that uh, there'll be a partial um, deferral of realty taxes. Now, that's just a proposal. It's been put out there. I don't know that the city has reacted to it yet because, of course, the city needs the tax money to pay for homeless shelters and to pay for all its staff and everything else. But that's the. I, I would think that the kind of action you could expect would be at that level uh, where things like uh, realty taxes could be deferred uh, utility rates reduced, as in Ontario, they've reduced the rates for residential customers at this point. Um, it's it's hard for me to see 
the government interfering in the relationship between the lender and the landlord. Um, I think that would have that could have a, a long-term negative effect on lending in the country if a lender is worried about the government coming in. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how long this goes on because at some point, uh, more drastic action may be required. Annie, is Quebec doing anything for commercial tenants or landlords? So uh, most of the municipalities, Montreal and Quebec, have uh, postponed the payment of uh, realty taxes. So they've uh, extended the, the deadline for payment. That's for sure. It's a, it's a direct uh, relief, if you will. Just a deferral, not a, a full relief. But um, And Hydro-Quebec, um, I, I would have to confirm whether it applies to commercial uh, consumers, but for sure for um, residential, what they've done is they've maintained their, uh, their fees um, but are trying to help uh, you know, uh, users and consumers that may have issues. So, so there are uh, governmental measures uh, to, to assist because everyone in the chain, I mean, it has a cascade uh, effect, individual all the way up to the mortgage lender. We've been talking so far about leases that are already in effect and how landlords and tenants in those existing relationships or active relationships can manage the impact of COVID-19. What about leases that haven't yet come into effect? If I'm, if I'm supposed to take possession of commercial premises on May the 1st, for example, what do I do now in order to protect myself against some of the implications uh, of this pandemic? Or conversely, if I'm a landlord and I have a commercial tenant coming in on May the 1st, what do I do immediately in order to ensure that I can have a secure business relationship or a confident commercial relationship throughout the coming months? Bram, let me start with you. Well, let's assume that you're not an essential an essential business under the applicable legislation so that you can't open. Um, I think the simple advice is for the landlord and tenant to talk to each other and work something out. As I said before, there's no one's in a position to make demands right now. And um, I, don't, I don't think trying to enforce rights strictly in either way is going to be a useful exercise. So uh, I agree. I agree with, uh, with Bram. Um, whether it be, you know, just delivering the premises, if there's construction work that needs to be done, et cetera, et cetera, no one can perform right now. So assuming, again, it's not essential, um, and even if it were, I'm, I'm not sure to what extent there could be uh, some, some construction work completed for the TIs or, or whatever obligations for delivery. So again, everything is suspended and discussion and open communication is, is surely the best way to... to uh, Achieve, and the concepts would be the same in terms of capacity of uh, performing obligations, whether it be an active agreement or an upcoming one. If we go even further into the future and look at leases that are being potentially negotiated, maybe not right this minute, because everyone is in the immediate stages of responding to the changes that have happened since this national social distancing approach came into effect. But do you expect, how do you expect, I should say, COVID-19 to affect the way that leases are negotiated, both while some of these measures are still in force and then afterward when things return to whatever we call normal? How are landlords and tenants going to approach their relationships differently, if at all, uh, when they negotiate commercial lease agreements uh, after we have returned to a situation where businesses can operate? I wasn't practicing at the time of uh, SARS, uh, but I believe there had been afterwards, and Bram, it, it, it mostly happened in Toronto. So I, I believe there was a change after the, uh, the SARS epidemic in 2003, wasn't there? 
There was, but there wasn't the same government closure. The business didn't stop the way it stopped here. But what we did see was uh, a lot of new leases contain a, a provision that gives the landlord a lot of rights in the event of what is called a health emergency, which the example always given then was SARS. I expect the example going forward will be COVID. Um, and those provisions give the landlords the right to bar entrances and to make new rules and regulations. Uh, it never, I can't recall any that actually said the tenant would continue to pay rent notwithstanding he couldn't get into their premises for a prolonged period of time. But uh, I don't think anyone ever foresaw that. And I think we may now see that going forward. And I, I think a lot will depend on how the business interruption insurance industry responds. I agree. And that's where I was. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking, because, I mean, no one knows how right now it's, it's, it's going to be when parties start negotiating and how insurance companies will be handling this situation right now. I think it, this is a very uh, hot topic and uh, how, how insurance companies will deal. And if it's going to be like a specific endorsement going forward or, or whatnot, it, it will be something to, to uh, be mindful of when negotiating leases. We're going to talk about insurance law on a future episode or more than one future episode of this podcast. But for listeners who aren't familiar with what business interruption insurance is, could you give us a quick explanation of what that is and how it affects the ability of a tenant potentially to continue to pay rent despite a government-mandated closure? It's insurance that is intended to compensate a tenant if it loses its income from the business that it was carrying on. And historically, people have assumed that, that, that the trigger event for that insurance to come into effect was physical damage to the building or the premises it was operating out of. There's some very recent case law, which I know you'll be exploring in another episode that seems to enlarge the circumstances in which business interruption insurance will be payable. And I think that enlargement is what's going to have a dramatic effect on how leases are negotiated in the future. And if I can ask, if all else fails, we've talked a lot about how landlords and tenants have an obligation really to themselves as well as to each other to negotiate in good faith, to come to the table, to communicate openly, to find arrangements that allow uh, landlords and tenants to continue their business relationships despite the interruption caused by COVID-19. If all else fails, if there's a situation where for whatever reason, lines of communication break down, tenants aren't willing to yield an inch, the landlord isn't willing to yield an inch, and for whatever reason, there is just a total breakdown in that relationship, and the landlord actually uh, ends up pursuing the tenant to the point that the tenant is unable to meet their, their obligations as they come due and they find themselves insolvent. What are the implications for a lease and for a landlord-tenant relationship if that happens, if the tenant actually makes a filing under the Bankruptcy Act or, or the CCAA? Well, they're, they're different under both, but generally there'd be a stay in the landlord's actions for a prescribed period of time. Um, the, and it go, it, the, the rights vary by province, but in Ontario, the, uh, the trustee in bankruptcy of the tenant can either disclaim the lease or it can assign the lease to a fit and proper person. Um, and then the landlord has a preferred claim into bankruptcy for three months arrears and I think three months going of accelerated rent. Generally, if you look at bankruptcies, you never, you rarely get down to the landlord's preferred claim. Usually the statutory claims and the secured claims um, eat up all of the tenant's assets. 
There may be tenants who use bankruptcy for a strategic purpose to stop the uh, landlord from moving against their premises uh, and to uh, try and resolve the impasse with respect to the deferred rent. It will be interesting to see how that plays out because, of course, you can't go into court for a filing. I think the government offices are closed for a filing. So it's not clear, again, how you could uh, take a definitive action during this very strange period of time. Bram, Annie, thank you both very much for your time. I hope we have the chance to speak to you again as this situation continues to unfold. Thank you for thank having us. Thank you very us. much. Bram Coston is counsel in McCarthy Tetro's Real Property and Planning Group in Toronto, and Annie gagnon Larocque is a partner in McCarthy Tetro's Real Property and Planning Group in Montreal. This has been Episode 8 of Law in the Time of COVID-19. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. We also hope you'll send us your suggestions for future episodes. We want to talk about what you want to hear about. You can reach me on Twitter at, at Adam Goldenberg or by email at agoldenberg at mccarthy.ca. Pour plus de contenu de McCarthy Tetro, ne manquez pas notre balado de la langue française, Le droit au temps de la COVID-19, animé par ma collègue Christelle Chevalier. This episode was produced by Laura Alford, Pippa Leslie, Chloe Thomas, and me. Special thanks to Lara Nathans, Trevor Lawson, Judith McKay, Elizabeth Burks, Ali Adams, Tommy Barbieri, Samantha Chown, Kathleen Hogan, Taryn Hunter, Andrea Watson, Matilda Kramertz, and the entire team here at McCarthy Tetro. Not literally here, of course, but you know what I mean. Make sure you check out our firm's COVID-19 hub, which you can reach from the main page of our website at www.mccarthy.ca. This is Law in the Time of COVID-19. I'm Adam Goldenberg. Thanks for listening, and please wash your hands.